What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rockcast. Jordan here, your host. We are powered by Onyx Hump Maps. And today we have Mike Street back on. Um, Mike was on, man, that was like a few months ago, a couple months ago, about talking about point creep. And that was a really popular episode, and people really liked that. So thanks for coming back on. We have another data-driven podcast. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Jordan. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, the, the point creep one was, um, you know, really in depth and we went into a lot of things and that if people want to listen to that. I'll, I'll link it down in the show notes, but can you give a, an overview of this new article that you did with, with Robbie is written in part by Robbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So after the point creep article, um, Robbie approached me and, and just said, Hey, we, we kind of want, to, I guess, investigate what the status is of mule deer, um, because it seems like from a mule deer hunter's perspective that the populations are kind of on this continual decline across the West. So again, it's maybe let's just kind of dig up what the data is kind of saying and, and maybe get a better overall perspective of of what's going on and and none of none of what's in the article i would say is really original in the sense that um the data has been collected you know by all the wildlife agencies and all of that but but the aim of it was kind of how can we how can we uh portray how the species is doing um, state to state um, with respect to each other, but then also in an in an absolute sense. So, you know, how is that population trending? That 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 was kind of the aim of the article. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. And, and really, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, it seems like talking to just hunters in general, it seems like the overall attitude towards deer in the West is it's they're declining Um, and tag numbers are getting cut and whatnot. I think that that's overall attitude from seems to be what I'm hearing, but yeah, it's interesting what you came up with in this as far as the data goes. Yeah. So I think you're probably a little bit more in tune. I'm sure you are way more in tune than I am as far as like the hearsay between the, you know, amongst the hunting community. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's like all of the, each hunter is like one data point and it's like, okay, well, you had a really crappy experience last year mm-hmm. and, and this person had a really good experience. So it's like, it's finding where's, where's the middle ground and then how is the population actually trending? I think is what's most important. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I I thought your article did a really good job of covering that and maybe it'll open people's eyes because, I mean, the game and fish can't just go off of, you know, hunter reports and what people are, are talking about because just like you just said, it's, there's such a, it's such a mixed bag review of, of experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I interviewed uh, Jim Heffelfinger. I hope I got that right. Uh, he's a somewhat 
you know, well-known biologist. He's the Arizona Game and Fish um, Wildlife Science Coordinator there. Uh, he's also the chair of the Mule Deer, Mule Deer Working Group, um, which I actually had never heard of until he brought it up. Um, and they, if you're really interested, they have so much information on their website. So within the article, right way down at the bottom, uh, there's a link to that website. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's more than you would want, basically, more than you would want to know. They go really in depth on certain topics, but then they also kind of give like a like summary topics as well. Nice. Yep. I'll link to that also. And it's really easy to find at the bottom of the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so as far as the article goes that I wrote, it was really taking all of the data in the one report that was collected by the mule deer working group. All of their data was collected from all of the state agencies because because they they also want to kind of see like how how is the species trending um, and how are you know I guess just in general how are they trending state by state mm-hmm. gotcha so should we just I mean dive just get right into it dive into the article yeah absolutely so the the first thing that that we did was we took the estimated populations from all the state agencies. I, I excluded um, Canada and Mexico, uh, just just a little bit for simplicity. Um, but that data can also be found if you're interested in in those territories. Um, and then then I I mapped out just geographically kind of a. Uh, histogram of how or what the distribution of mule deer are in the Intermountain West in the lower 48. And then I normalized that per per acre of the state. So if, if you look at the, the first figure in the article, it kind of gives you this blue, red, you know, state by state diagram. Mm-hmm. And, and what it's showing is states like Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, and actually California, uh, surprisingly, have the most abundance um, as far as all of those states go. Um, and then, and then what you can kind of see as well is like the Dakotas are kind of on the lower end: Kansas, uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada. Which, which I guess most hunters would probably expect. Yeah. Um, the California was kind of a surprise to me, um, specifically because it's always it's always crapped on on the forums as being this really poor hunting state. Um, but apparently, they have a lot of abundance in mule deer, at least. Um, so that was interesting to me. Um, especially because that, that data is normalized per acre and with California being such a huge state, you would, you would think it actually be a pretty small or it it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as abundant. Mm -hmm. 
yeah that is that's really interesting um i know you and you're i'm sure you're gonna you'll get to it but you guys dove into buck to doe ratios a little bit as well Mm -hmm. yeah so the that uh mule deer working group report um unfortunately states don't they don't manage or they manage based on different metrics so some of them will manage based on buck to doe ratios um, rather than total population and that sort of thing so they want to see how those those data points are trending and then that's how they adjust their tag allocations. Um, so in, in this article, what I tried to do is I tried to uh, normalize. I basically created this quality metric, which I called it, which is taking into consideration the total population, the harvest success rate, uh, the buck to doe ratio uh, trend, and then the population, the total abundance uh, per acre. So what that kind of did was it, it attempted to um, kind of normalize each state's each state's uh, you know way of how they manage the species. Um, you know, and, and try to get rid of any sort of like uh, variance there. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, so basically, just normalize it to one one standard, and then there's a a bar graph of that quality metric uh, for each one of those states that were shown in the the geographical illustration. So, kind of the highlights there is is that that quality metric. Um, for mule deer, the uh, North Dakota, Texas, and Utah, and Idaho, um, and Arizona were kind of the highest scorers as far as that goes. And um, so what that tells you is that the, quote, kind of health of the species isn't really it's not correlated to the abundance of the species within the state. That's interesting. Which, which I guess you you could kind of, you know, there's going to be multiple reasons why that would be the case, but um, but I I think um, the the biggest the biggest thing as far as the state agencies are concerned is the population trends and then the the harvest the harvest rate is a is a big one as well but of course the population trend because if you if you see this kind of um you know downward slope of the trend then you, you would kind of say okay well we need well what's the reason for it but then mm-hmm. in terms of the hunting tag allocations we kind of need to probably cut back all right, everyone, just wanted to whip in here real quick and thank our sponsor, Onyx, Hot Maps for powering the podcast. We appreciate them very, very much, and, of course, their app. Um, one little tidbit I wanted to share about uh, using the Onyx app. Um, I just moved a tree stand today. We went out and set a few trail cameras. 
Um, I have a new guide that's going to be coming in to guide for me this year. And we are basically sharing like all the pins of where the cameras are, um, where the tree stands are, where the blinds are going to be. Um, I have set up parking spots, um, you know, easy ways to, to walk people in. So that's another thing too. Um, you know, I can mark a parking spot. I can drive to that parking spot and then, you know, track, create a track from the, the parking spot to the tree. So he can basically follow the track and know the best way to get in there. Um, and we can share all that. And then like when he gets, gets in and say he moves a, a camera or moves a, a blind or something like that, then he can drop a pin and he can send that to me. Um, and we can keep track of each other and kind of the things that are going on just like that, which is really nice. Um, another thing that's really nice too that I've talked about with those pins that you drop, you can attach photos. So that has been super nice. Um, you know, I can uh, take a picture of the tree stand and send it to him and you know I can also write in the notes and be like you know this is better for a south uh, south wind or west wind or something like that so then he can basically just you know click on a pin and say you know this is where I saw a deer click on a pin and get some more information like that um, I can put a lot of the information that I know just from being in the area a ton and attach a picture so he knows exactly what it looks like and then he can apply that to, um, to, to guiding people and help him do that better. So, um, yeah, just a big fan of, of Onyx and they've got 3d mapping in there, which has been really nice. It's almost eliminated me having to use Google earth to look at some certain things. Um, so that's a really nice thing to utilize. If you want to check any of this out, you just go to onyxmaps.com forward slash hunt. When you're at checkout, type in code ROCKCAST and you will get 20% off of both tiers, tier levels and memberships. Um, that's either you pay for one state, if you just want to hunt one state or your home state or whatever, um, or if you want to get all 50 states, you can do that as well um, for the land ownership and unlimited offline maps and things like that. So um, go check that out and I hope you're enjoying um, this episode with Mike Street. Wyoming and Colorado technically performing mm -hmm. lesser. And that's really interesting for a state like Colorado that has such a high, you know, population of mule deer to be really, it's pretty close to that top third, I would say, but maybe not quite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Colorado specifically, um, because it's a pure, um, I guess, what would you say? It's a pure draw state. There's no like over the counter tags or unlimited tag for mule deer. Um, like there are elk, for example. Um, and then, and then Wyoming, as you know, is for the residents, it's, it's just over the counter as far as I understand it. Yep. As far as, you know, region, region, whatever, you can just go pick up a tag. And I believe those are unlimited. You can maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Those, I'm pretty sure they are unlimited. Yeah. As far as residents go. Um, I mean, they obviously have the non-resident stuff capped, but as far as just like the over the counter stuff, it's 
yeah, it's fair game to residents. Okay. Yeah, so I think with Wyoming, you, it's like if they went to, if they went away from that and they started managing the populations purely just on tag allocations, it, I, I mean, they would have scored way better. Um, I think everybody would kind of agree on that. Um, but the Colorado, their, theirs was a little surprising to me, mm-hmm. um, but maybe maybe not too surprising just because um, if you looked at the human population growth versus the mule deer population growth, they would probably correlate pretty well, if I had to guess. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think something there's been like, I don't know, 6 million new residents in the state within the last like, 10 years or mm-hmm. something. And I think most people like, uh, you know, it's been talked about on the podcast quite a bit with like Mike Duplan and stuff. And he's just saying that, that um, the landscape has changed as far as like how many hikers are out there, the disturbances to the, the, the landscape. Um, a big one is the fractionation of the winter ranges, you know, with housing developments and that sort of thing. I, I think all you need to know if, if you haven't been to Colorado, just drive up I-70 from Denver. That's all you need to know. Um, yeah. Just the amount of people is almost crazy. Yeah. Do you think uh, with Colorado and Wyoming in specific too, that the winter kill from what was that four years ago now um, has something to do with that, those numbers? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I don't remember the data exactly, but with, with Colorado, the mule deer population never has never seemed to uh, have recovered from that 2007-08 timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know a whole lot of history about about that winter, but I I heard it was really bad. Um, but the the population has just never really recovered from that, um, and and it's actually been kind of just just a steady decline from there, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I think people can you could speculate why, like, why hasn't it recovered at all? I think that's, I don't, I don't really know, I guess. I I tend to wonder if, if um, certain, you know, little herds within the overall herds, like completely died off. And then, and then they're not really using like the species isn't using the habitat that it that it does have available, if that kind of makes sense. It does. Because I've heard I've heard like certain herds will migrate only one way, like every year. But if if the winters say like if it killed off that whole herd, then is a different herd gonna then start to use that migration yep. route? I see what you, you know mean. what I mean? So mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I think I think you'd have to study it pretty in depth to, yeah, and then, to really know 
<laughs> yeah, then what do you do to fix it? Start I mean transplanting some deer over to a new into a new area that's not getting used anymore and try to I don't know in mm-hmm. a sense like spread them back out or right. I don't know, do you cut tags like way back and try to let them do it on on their own? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think with Colorado it's really just an accumulation of a of that winter. I think the winter of 16 was also a little harsh. Um, but then just the development in the winter ranges is pretty, I think most biologists would agree that's kind of the main thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It'll, I mean, I would assume that they're going to adapt to whether that, that winter range keeps getting eaten up or not, just with developments and things like that if they'll adapt to being able to handle harsher environments or they're just going to not be able to go down to the milder weather and they're just going to get killed off more up where there's Mm -hmm. no people. Yeah. Yep. And I think clearly, clearly the, the deer can adapt because you see them like in people's backyards and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. they don't seem, I, I think it's like if they're, if their food source is like totally destroyed by all the development, because they don't seem to really mind that humans are there in a sense, if that makes, you know what I mean? So Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then just the risk of just being around more people like getting hit on the highway, that's going to happen yeah. more because they're just around, mm-hmm. around people more. So it's interesting. It's kind of yeah. uh, discouraging to see. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's, that brings up another thing is the the migration corridors. Um, Whenever you start to just build highways, like right through them, I mean, what are they going to do? They're just going to get destroyed by cars Mm -hmm. and, and these semis that are shipping everybody's Amazon two day shipping packages everywhere, you know? So so it's tough yeah. and, and, you know, the Mule Deer Foundation and the state agencies, they try to to adjust for that by building these like under under the highway tunnels so they can cross under. And I don't, I honestly don't know how effective that stuff is because, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to understand, right? To, because if they don't know it's if they don't know it's there, like, are they gonna follow like a fence for a while before they find an open gate? Like, you know, we've Mm -hmm. we've toyed around a little bit with like putting this is on a completely smaller and different scale, but we put trail cameras in uh, like gates in fences, and then we'll throw the gate open. And I've seen them jump like a whole herd of mule deer jump like 40 yards from the gate. That was an open gate mm-hmm. and they'll still jump the fence. So it's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess you can try, but I mean, yeah. some of them are going to use it. Like they have those little cameras in those things that they definitely use it. But um, <laughs> I don't know how many, I don't think you're going to get a whole herd to, to try mm-hmm. to go through one of those, but. Yeah, like I don't there's know. the one, there's the one migration corridor in Colorado that goes 
Um, there's a under the knee, under, uh, it goes under Highway 70, like right before you get into uh, Vail. Um, so between Silverthorne and, and Vail, there's a migration corridor that goes right under, you, you almost can't miss it. They have giant fences, you know, to, to try to like funnel them down into there. Um, and I wonder like if, if the game and fish has cameras on that and they're tracking that stuff and, and knowing that the elk and deer are using that, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. So, uh, moving on into your, the, the lower quality, quality metric, it, there's a, just a little excerpt in here in your article that says, um, you know, just like we just talked about, you know, Colorado, Colorado and Wyoming on a kind of on a decline, I guess, but Idaho is a bright spot and, you know, healthy population and harvest trends, just like we, we talked about, but here's a little, um, here's a, a quote in here. So it says in Idaho, the percent of bucks harvested that were four point or better in the rifle hunts has been above 40% in the last decade. In 2019, 63% were four points or better. What do you make of that? Mm-hmm. So that, that 40% in the last decade part, that's every year. That was every single year. That's, that I don't know. To me, that's pretty impressive. That's either. Um, I think most people would argue that is that would be due to genetics and also habitat. I would argue. Um, so I think what that's saying is that that Idaho has suitable habitat, and the genetics are good. And I don't know. Maybe the maybe the hunters in Idaho are just better than everybody else. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It makes me wonder if we're, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. If, if, uh, I would say, you know, we're getting better at, at finding and killing, you know, bigger deer, but at mm-hmm. the same time, yeah. I mean, all the States should be like that. If that were the case, you know, if it was getting easier to, to shoot deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also what it speaks to is that Idaho is doing something right in terms of management that they can sustain that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And it'll it'll be interesting to see with this last change that they just did um, in, you know, December, all the non-resident tags went on sale and they, they're making you pick a unit now as a non-resident instead of just being able to have a a deer tag and go to all the units. Um, it'll be interesting to see what that does. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm really hoping that Colorado does that with their elk OTC tags, Mm -hmm. at least Mm -hmm. to a degree. Yeah. I talked to, I had, um, Scott Reekers from the Eastman's on not too long ago. And we were talking about that and kind of the trickle effect that that's going to have. And, um, just as far as trying to get tags and, and point creep and, all those things. And now all of a sudden you have a state like Idaho that a non-resident, you know, if they didn't draw anything else, it could always come to Idaho as a backup plan, grab a tag and go hunt. And now, mm-hmm. you know, really early on, they have to pick a unit and a lot of those units, all the units are capped. So a lot of them have already sold okay. out. So they're like, well, mm-hmm. we don't know where to go now. So maybe we'll switch over and go to Colorado 
and get an over-the-counter okay. elk tag. And it could be interesting to see how that those numbers fluctuate. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another thing I don't like about the Colorado elk management is I believe those are all unlimited as well. Mm-hmm. There's no cap on that. And, yep. and I understand like a lot of those hunters, you know, they want that opportunity, which is good. Um, and I, I think you're just getting a lot of people driving around on the roads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I think you're right. So uh, moving on, probably are we to the summary portion yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just the last figure is really just, um, a visualization of that quality metric state by state. So, gotcha. Yep. Um, and as far as the summary goes, I kind of hit it right at the beginning is, is these agencies are really doing this tightrope balance between managing for opportunity, but also, also having at least portions of their states open for um, harvesting of the upper age class animals. Um, And then of course, like we mentioned before, the whole supply and demand, there seems to be increasing amount of demand for for tags. Mm -hmm. So, and the the carrying capacities have seemed to be, you know, inching downward um, at least a little bit. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of unfortunate, but it's, you know, we talked about, or I just did a podcast with Robbie. It's going to roll on Saturday. And he was, we talked about this a little bit and he was pushing for people to go join the mule deer foundation and get involved with some of those Mm -hmm. projects and just try to try to help as little, uh, you know, as much as we can, as little as that may be in the grand scheme of things. I mean, might as well try to try to save what we love doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I'm a member, but I am guilty at this point of not um, helping out with some of those projects. Um, it is in plan in the future to do that sort of thing uh, once yeah. I get a little bit more time. But, but yeah, I think, um, I think the main takeaway, I think, though, of, of all of this is that even though some states are declining, um, for the most part, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the mule deer is really doing that poorly. And I do think that. So I've also studied predator prey models quite a bit, and what those will tell you is that the each species will will oscillate. Um, kind of out of phase from each other. So if you have a lot of predators, you'll have few um, prey. And then if you have a lot of prey, you'll have less predators. And and these things kind of just oscillate back and forth. Mm -hmm. So there is, you know, there's still a good chance that that these populations might swing back. and and who knows, maybe it'll get back to, you know, the quote, good, good old days of, you know, way before I was born. Yeah. But who knows? 
yeah, Mother Nature has uh, more to yeah. do with it than than we do. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> there, I don't know why this quote's always stuck to stuck with me, but you know, in uh, Jurassic Park, there's that quote. He's what does that guy say? He says, uh, um, "Nature finds a way" or something like that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially so we, with like the elk herds and stuff, uh, there's always that argument like, "Oh, there's too many elk, and that the the deer don't have the habitat because of all the elk." And and so, you know, when the if the elk population declines, you'll probably see at least some increase in the mule deer, and then that's gonna then it. It's then going to invert in the future. The mule deer is going to decline. The elk's going to come back. So that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, that's just how it works. So like where I grew up in Nebraska, <laughs> when Dad was a kid, probably uh, younger than me, he always talks about they used to have a lot of bobcats on the river, and they hardly ever saw a coyote. Mm-hmm. And now it's completely inverted. Oh wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, and I, I think they these these kinds of things take a long time as well to to shift. Yeah. Um years. So I I think the best thing as far as the hunters go is just you know, like what Robbie says, just get out there and just go do it. Mm-hmm. And just keep learning and you might have one honey hole that's good one year and then the next year it's not good. That that could definitely happen, and it may not just be induced by humans, by hunting pressure either. So, yeah, I think a it's a very dynamic thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's just very dynamic, and you always have to kind of adjust to to what the herds are doing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I agree. I absolutely agree. Well, I will, I'll link the the references and then the, the whole article and, and everything that you link to in the, you guys link to in the article and down below in the show notes. And um, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Jordan.